We're in Job chapter 38. This morning looking verses 1 through 3. So from Ecclesiastes we now move to Job in our, our summer of God's wisdom. And we find a similar theme to that which we covered last Sunday. How Solomon made clear that God had appointed both adversity and prosperity. That we can expect both. And these do not come to us randomly, but they come to us because they were ordained by God to come to us. And since we receive both, it means that we can't know tomorrow what's going to come. It could be adversity, it could be prosperity, it could be both. But they don't come randomly, but quite purposefully. Again, it leaves us not knowing what tomorrow may bring, which is, for some people, very nerve-wracking. They want to know what tomorrow is going to bring. But what we have is a good exercise, then, of faith and trust, plus a firm hold on the nature of God, that God is good, and as we were talking last Sunday night, infinitely good. There's there's no shadow of turning, there's no break, there's no, no change in his goodness. His goodness is his goodness perfectly and infinitely. There's no end to it as there was no beginning. Now as we come to chapter 38, Elihu has just finished speaking to Job in chapter 37. And I think some people get the wrong idea. Elihu's words were good. But they fail to impact Job. But they do seem to silence him. And Elihu's speech in chapter 37 can be condensed to this. That submission to God's ways, rather than trying to reason about God's ways, is really what our duty is. Our duty is to submit to the ways of God, not to try to spend all our time reasoning about the ways of God. You'll notice at the end, chapter 42 and verses 7 through 9, God chastises Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, the three friends of, Mo, of Job who spoke prior, but you notice there's no word against Elihu because he spoke and was right in line with what perhaps he should have spoke. But as we look at chapter 37, as Elihu is speaking, something is developing. It is as though while he is speaking, a thunderstorm is developing in the distance. If we begin looking just at the first of chapter 37, at this also my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Hear attentively the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He sends it forth under the whole heaven, his lightning to the ends of the earth, 
After it, a voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice. He does not restrain them when his voice is heard. And again, God thunders marvelously with his voice. He does great things which we cannot comprehend. And if we move to verse 9, from the chamber of the south comes the whirlwind and cold from the scattering winds of the north. And then in verse 14, listen to this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Listen, Job. We hear the thunder, we hear the lightning, but now in the distance too, coming ever closer and closer, we hear the whirlwind. Moving closer and closer to us. And by the time we get to chapter 38, it has arrived. What a scene it must have been. Here's Elihu having to speak louder and louder at the sound of the wind and the whirlwind and the thunder and the lightning that's coming towards them. And the wind blowing sand upon them and the flapping of their garments. And then the whirlwind arrives. And out of it comes a voice. In chapter 38, in verse 1, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, prepare yourself like a man, and I will question you. And you, you shall answer me. funny a whirlwind came to Elijah when he was in the cave but the voice of God was not in that it was in the still small voice but here the voice of God is clear in the whirlwind the whirlwind in scripture indicates the power of God it sweeps away every object that it encounters Proverbs 10 verse 25 tells us when the whirlwind passes by the wicked is no more During the previous chapter, and in previous chapters, in this book, such as chapter 11 and verse 5, there was the cry, Oh, that God would speak! Oh, that God would speak! And Job himself had often appealed to God. He had boldly spoken of how he would present his case. If we turn back to chapter 23... Chapter 23, verses 3 through 7. Oh, that I might, oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know the words which he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me in his great power? No. But he would take note of me. And there the upright could reason with him. And I would be delivered forever by my judge. And in chapter 31. 
And in verse 35, Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here's my mark. Oh, that the Almighty would answer me. That my prosecutor had written a book. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder and bind it on me like a crown. I would declare to him the number of my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. Well, as we come to chapter 38, Job is getting exactly what he wished for, which might be good to remember that old adage, be careful what you wish for. He gets the audience that he's looking for. Now, the sentiment of Job is, is somewhat understandable. Oh, if I could just hear from God in the midst of my troubles, oh, if he would just speak to me. And then we're told, well, God speaks through his word. And immediately, someone might say, but I need more. I need more. I want to come to the garden alone and hear him walk with me and talk with me and tell me I am his own. I want something besides the Bible. I want something better than the Bible. God has says, I speak to you through my word. Yeah, but what about just speaking directly to me? I speak to you through my word. But I want something different. I want something better. Oh, so God's providence is not good enough. God's ways are not good enough. The word to Job comes forth from the whirlwind. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. So let's first see who it is who speaks, who is speaking. It says here, then the Lord answered Job. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. The Lord, not an angel, but here, who is it that's speaking? Well, it's the eternal word of God, Christ himself. For by him the worlds were made. So by the one who made the worlds, it would be right that he should speak. That he would speak here to Job as later he would speak to Moses on top of the mountain. Here he would speak of creation to Job. And later on he would speak to Moses of redemption. So, so the Lord, Jesus is speaking, the word of God came to him. Now notice then what he spoke. When he spoke, then, then the Lord answered Job. After all the others had had their say and had missed the point, we all know people who seem to want to have the last word. They're the worst people in the world to text with. The reality is God will always have the last word. Elihu had already spoken in a very 
preparatory way. He had called for Job to compare God's eternity to his brevity, to compare God's omniscience to his own ignorance, to compare God's omnipotence to his own weakness. Very much poignant for ourselves to ask these questions too. Wise words for all of us to remember these things. God's omniscience, our ignorance, his eternity, our brevity, his omnipotence, our weakness. The question in verse 2 is put to Job. Some actually think he was talking to Elihu, but that's not the case because we'll see in chapter 42 and verse 3, Job says, you were speaking to me. You asked the question and I respond. It's put to Job, okay? So now the question, who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Wow. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? In this dialogue that he will have with Job, the Lord will accomplish two things. He will teach Job that Job had spoken unadvisedly. And then second, he would convince Job's three friends that they were all wrong about him on how they had assessed Job and his character. Who is this who darkens what? Who darkens counsel? Counsel, what's meant by counsel? The counsel of God are his works of providence, which he has done according to the counsel of his will. These were misrepresented by Job. Spoken of not that they just weren't wise, they weren't good. They weren't equitable. They weren't just. You say, well, that seems kind of harsh. Well, if we turn back to chapter 34. Elihu is talking about how God had, or how Job had spoken. He said, for the ear tests words, verse 3 of 34, and the palate tastes food, as the palate tastes food, let us choose justice for ourselves. Let us know among ourselves what is good. For Job has said, I am righteous, but God has taken away my justice. Job has said, I am righteous, but God has taken away my justice. In verse 16, if you have understanding, listen to the sound of my words. Should one who hates justice govern? Will you condemn him who is most just? God said of Job that he multiplies words without knowledge. Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? From here, we will see in, at another time 
<clears throat> that throughout the rest of this chapter, God will expose to Job that Job didn't know anything about first, verses 4 through 7, the founding design of creation, the creation of the world, the founding design and creation of the world. Secondly, that how the bodies of water were established, the sea and its boundaries. You ever go to the ocean or stand in a lake? At a lake, did you ever wonder why the ocean is there and not somewhere else? And why it doesn't ever go beyond? It doesn't start another ocean somewhere else, but stays fairly well fixed until <clears throat> there's the sea and its boundaries. How it is that the morning light comes and shines or the dark depths of the earth and the sea or how clouds and weather patterns exist or even how it is that a person receives a soul. Have you ever thought of that? How did I get my soul and when did it come to me? Did it come at conception? Did it come at my first heartbeat? My first signs of life? When, when did I receive my soul? Now, here we have to pause and we need to ask ourselves, how advanced are we? in regard to this. Would God say to us, who is this who darkens counsel? Words without knowledge. So the third thing that we see from just this first address, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who? Who is this? that darkens counsel. Who? Who is this? A man? A creature? God's not asking for information. But this is irony. It's, it's somewhat, you could say, sarcastic. You are putting me on trial. You would take me to the stand. It's like a flea trying to tip over an elephant. How is it that such a little man with so little knowledge darkens counsel by saying my works of providence are not good, they're not wise, they're not fair, they're not just? Perhaps all of us have had the experience of someone misreading our actions our words, taking our words the wrong way, maybe even questioning the goodness of our, our motives. And we know what that produces in us. But here, this, this is such a great affront to God to take his wisdom and to darken it with our ignorance. To take his wisdom 
and darken it with our ignorance. People who would never think of going into an operating room where a surgeon is repairing nerve connections on a spiny column, spinal column and, and begin to advise the surgeon, well, don't you think you ought to start here and do this? Well, who are you? Well, I watched a YouTube video the other day. Or I stayed at a Holiday Inn Express. And that's not throwing off on YouTube. There's many good things that we can pull off of there, many instructional videos, but you don't become an expert just by watching a video. And to think that you could come in and tell a, a surgeon doing intricate spinal surgery, yeah, this is how you need to do it. I, I saw it. I saw it done. How God has arranged things in the world. How he brings all things to pass. Of him and to him and through him are all things. Whatsoever comes to pass. We ought to be amazed that with God, there is no such thing as random. Nothing is random. But you listen to people talk today and it's like everything is random. But with God, nothing is random. <clears throat> Instead, man questions, and many times not out of sincerity, but out of arrogance. Would you please, please grasp this important point that the moment we begin to question God's goodness and wisdom, we are doing the devil's delight. Thinking just the way the devil would want it. It worked so easy on our first parents. And they were in their original sinlessness when he did that. Imagine how easy it is for that to happen to us in our fallen natures. The questioning of God and his providence is like a child taking his little plastic bow and a suction cup tip arrow and trying to hit an airplane at 30,000 feet. You know, the president has a press secretary that's supposed to answer what it is the president is doing, what the president is seeking or thinking. And she often causes more confusion than clarity. It's even worse when so many people who are not immersed in scripture, haven't studied God in his ways and his word, try to explain or question what he's doing. You see, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that we cannot ask questions of God. But there's a big difference between asking questions and questioning. A big difference between asking questions and questioning. James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. What is that statement telling us? It's telling us that we're confessing to God, I don't know. 
If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. What is that saying? I lack wisdom, so what do I do? I'll ask of God. It's not that I lack wisdom, so I will question God as to why are you doing this? But I will simply say, Lord, I don't know. I don't understand. I lack light. I lack discernment. I lack understanding. I shall seek wisdom from him. It's just as when people, it's just as wrong when people have expectations of God. If they don't seem to have those expectations met, so they turn away and they say there is no God. It's sad watching older people, minds degenerate. To see them get to the point where they don't even recognize loved ones anymore. Sad to see those things happen. At the same time, where was it anywhere in God's word where he said, this will never happen? Where did he ever say that we would float through this world on flowery beds of ease and then one day in the midst of our sleep, in a beautiful dream, we would be cast off into heaven? There are no promises like that, but somehow people put those promises there. Oh, he's always promised that I will have a a good and prosperous life. No, he didn't. He said, by much tribulation you will enter the kingdom. Not on the flowery bed of ease. Just because God doesn't meet someone's expectations, that person has to understand that they're not God. Your expectations are not the word of God, nor the plan of God. And so therefore, the thing has to be turned around. God's great wisdom and providence is seen in his providing a savior for us sinners. Job had these great moments of clarity and even in the time of great suffering he still said, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know he lives. And at the end, I shall see him. And you actually have people who call themselves professors and preachers of the word who say, well, Jesus is not in the Old Testament. One of the oldest books, next oldest book to Genesis, here you have the man saying, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the end he shall stand upon the earth. God shows the wisdom and providence in providing a Savior for us. Such a great majority question it. Well, I have to do something there because I need to do something to be able to help save myself. And we answer, you know what you need to do? You need to believe. You need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what scripture tells us to do. But if you believe, remember this, that even the belief that you receive is a gift. 
It didn't well up within you. It came to you. We don't know when and how the soul enters into our bodies as babies. And we don't know how the Holy Spirit enters and regenerates us in salvation. But in both cases, we are aware after it has happened. And so therefore, if somebody now sees God as they never saw him before, who sees Christ as they never saw him before, guess what? It's the work of the Spirit in their hearts, a gift of God. And if that's you today, rejoice and cry out in thanks and ask for that salvation. If it's already happened to you, rejoice again and say, I don't know when, I don't know how, I certainly did not deserve, but by thy grace and mercy, the Spirit entered into me, and I was born again. Let's stand together for prayer.